Time once again for the Built by Bama Online podcast. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com with you once again. Joined by my colleague there, when you talk about team coverage at BOL, and never has there been a better time to be a member of BamaOnline.com than right now because we've got the uh, conclusion of fall camp that we're looking at right now. We're moving into game week mode at BamaOnline.com for the Duke Blue Devils coming up a week from Saturday at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. And always, always, 24-7, well, you could call it 365, 24-7 sports.com when it comes to recruiting. And we certainly have you covered there with Tim Watts, our publisher, and also recruiting analyst Hank South doing a great job on that side of things. What we're going to talk about in this midweek pod, though, what we're going to do with Charlie Potter is go deep on what we consider to be what we would look at as our depth chart. Understand, depth chart day. Alabama fans know it. They love it. It's a tradition, as I've said before, unlike any other, not anticipated until Monday of game week for Duke. But Charlie, Let's go ahead and do it, man. Let's uh, let's go and uh, go position by position and uh, throw throw a few things out there. And I'm sure our subscribers, our loyal subscribers, uh, if they don't agree, they'll throw it right back. Right. Always. Yeah. They, they love to to point out when they think we're wrong or when we are wrong and slip up in the, the articles. But I love them for that. I'm the same way. I uh, always been that way since I was little. Um, my, my grandmother, my dad, um, you know, we're from northeast Alabama. They don't. They don't talk correctly up there, and I've always just been the one to quickly, you know, correct them. So I, the the people that do that on mes- our message board, uh, you know, they have my heart. Yeah, I always tell them I, we're just checking to see if you guys are and gals are still yeah. paying attention. Got to keep them you know? awake. You know, they kind of fashion themselves Alabama fans as you know a more knowledgeable fan base, and I agree with that. By the way, I've been around some other fan bases, and you can't fool Alabama fans, can you, Charlie? You cannot, definitely cannot, especially when it just comes to little nuances like practice reports. Um, you know, I, I don't know what it is with me, but for some reason, it, in my head, it, it always works out. But on the page, I have a really bad problem of typing things like if someone say like someone has a brace on their leg, I always type like double directions. I never put the, the ligament, the the appendage is always like left, left or left, right or right, right. And and. Boy, do I hear about it. <laughs> yeah, they'll get after you a little bit. Again, it's uh, it's an it's an endearment quality uh, that they have for us there as staff members at BamaOnline.com. But without further ado, Charlie, let's get right into it. Let's start on the offensive side of the ball. Let's start at the position where, for the first time in a couple of years, it seems like, uh, not a lot of question about the pecking order. Now, we went into fall camp maybe semi-expecting one of these true freshmen, specifically Talia Tonga-Vailoa, maybe to make a push uh, at Mac Jones there in that number two spot. Paul Tyson also in that mix. Uh, but it basically stayed pretty much the same way it was coming out of spring drills uh, now that we're looking ahead to the start of fall classes on Wednesday at UA. Yeah, there's no question about the number one or number two quarterback, uh, you know, just about a week before the, the opener. Everybody knew that Tua was going to be the, the starting quarterback. There's no one questioning that, no one doubting that. But the real question was about the backup quarterback. And in the spring, I thought Talia did some good things. Um, but Mike Jones, after you know throwing an early pick in the 8A game, kind of rounded back 
and uh, finished really strong. And he, he played really well in the 8A game. And, you know, he's he's a guy that he has the he has the ability. He has the talent. Um, you know, I think if if he goes out and plays with a clear head and isn't you know, playing with a lot of emotions, he can he can lead this offense and do a good job. But that's something that Nick Saban and company have really wanted him to do this offseason and focus on is to not let his emotions get the best of him. And whether that's um, you know, just forgetting a mistake that happens from letting the moment get too big for you, whatever it may be, just you know, controlling those emotions uh, down in and down out. And I think he's done a pretty good job of that because you're going into a situation where you have a starter that is, you know, has some injuries uh, pop up in the past and, you know, they might need Mac Jones to go into a game. I think they're going to try to use the backup as they have the past couple of years and get him in the game early. So Mac Jones is going to get opportunities, but he's a guy that's progressed a lot. And um, after the scrimmage uh, on Saturday, I believe it was Cecil Hurt that asked, um, Coach Saban about the quarterback, specifically Mac Jones and where he sits with the others. And, you know, Saban said that, that Mac Jones is way ahead of the other backup quarterback. So hearing that, um, you know, after that second scrimmage and, you know, about two weeks away from the season opener uh, lets you know how they feel about Mac Jones and his progression. And that's a good thing for Alabama. They can still get these young guys into games thanks to that new red shirt rule, play them four games or less and get them that experience. But, you know, they've been grooming Mac Jones for this moment to be the backup and be the guy that if something were to happen to Tua, he can go into the game and play effectively. And by all accounts, it seems like he's progressed to that point. Yeah. That's to me, what you talked about with the four game red shirt rule. We've talked about it a lot since it came into play uh, for the 2018 season is exactly how many of these guys play in, in 2019. Obviously, Tua Tagovailoa, Mac Jones. I think we'll see Talia Tagovailoa. Won't be surprised at all if we see all four because you had the luxury of going ahead and getting these guys some reps and game situations and, and not at the sacrifice of a year of eligibility. And I think that's especially uh, good when you have guys that not to call both Talia Tagovailoa and Paul Tyson projects, but I think their development in terms of what they need to do to get up to speed to being SEC ready, you know, is sort of in that neighborhood anyway. Like most quarterbacks, like most freshman quarterbacks who hit the Southeastern Conference, even though we're seeing more and more true freshmen around the league. Uh, start in their first years. Look at Bo Nix, most recently there uh, down at Auburn. Uh, I think it's great. I think it's great that you have a guy who, first of all, has come along as you had hoped in Mac Jones, but he also helps you not put a rush on guys like Talia Tonga-Vailoa and Paul Tyson. Now at running back, no real surprise again, I think, for both of us there with Najee Harris and Brian Robinson uh, the top two backs, unquestionably, uh, for this Alabama football team. The injury to Trey Sanders there uh, a week and a half ago or so, certainly not good for that rotation because the expectation was for Trey Sanders to very much be a part of the equation as perhaps the third back and uh, situationally checking in on some uh, possibilities there with him. But with Sanders out, uh, Jerome Ford, Keelan Robinson, Chadarian Townsend after uh, Sanders goes down. We see him make the switch over to running back after working the first part of camp at wide receiver. Um, what do you like about this rotation and maybe what's your biggest concern looking at this group, Charlie? 
I think the biggest concern is just there's not a lot of depth. You know, we've already talked about Trey Sanders being out for potentially the whole season with that um, with that foot injury. And after that, you only have four true scholarship running backs. I know Townsend's worked with the group, but he's kind of a, a jack-of-all-trades guy. But um, you, you can't really afford another guy to, to go down with an injury for a prolonged period of time just because it's you just start to, to worry about it. Um, we've seen Jerome Ford dealing with that ankle injury. Uh, from the scrimmage, uh, he's been around the facility dressed out in, in a black no-contact jersey, which is good for his prognosis. And you have Keelan Robinson, who's a guy that's, that's coming off of, of a knee injury before he got to Alabama. So uh, keeping these guys healthy, I think, is the top concern. Uh, you know, Najee Harris and Brian Robinson really haven't had injury history uh, at Alabama. I know you know people are really um, – they get really nervous when Najee Harris uh, likes to hurdle over defenders, and that's something that he himself, not even the coaches have had to said to, have to said to him. But um, he is taking it upon himself to cut the hurdling out because he's landed on his head a couple of times. And thanks to Scott Cochran and the the guys in the strength and conditioning program, uh, he hasn't felt that because I'm sure he has a, a pretty strong neck and an upper body. But uh, I, I think the the number one concern and, and priority is to keep, keep these guys healthy. And I think the the area that they progress a lot, especially the top two players, is in their pass protection. Um, you know, back when Burton Burns was the running backs coach, that's what you heard from every running back that came up into the media room when they were talking to reporters, is how important pass protection is for these running backs to get on the field. If you can't pass protect, you're not going to play. And so they've taken that upon themselves this offseason to make it a priority. And I think that's going to just continue to get them on the field. I think. Alabama's used a three-man rotation at running back, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them just lean on Harris and Robinson. I'm sure one of the younger guys will get into the mix as well. Uh, and I think Ford has come a long way in his development, but I think they're really going to lean on those top two guys. I do, however, with Robinson and Townsend, I like the different dynamic they bring from the the first two guys, you know, Najee and, and B-Rob, they're both bigger backs. They're kind of those bruisers that can be the bell cow if you need them to. But uh, Keelan Robinson and Shadarius Townsend kind of are the, the slimmer backs that you kind of see in the NFL as a change of pace back. And they, they're able to catch the ball in the backfield or maybe go out wide in formation. So it's a it's a very uh, diverse group. It's not a very deep group, but I think if they stay healthy, they can be a talented one that can not only help uh, you know, move the chains on the ground, but help out Tua Tonga-Bailoa and those receivers in the passing game as well. Yeah, I think Harris and Robinson could be something similar to what we've seen in the past to T.J. Yeldon and Eddie Lacy in 2012, 2014. You had Yeldon and Derrick Henry. You know, Those were two seasons in which Alabama – in 2012, did have a pair of 1,000-yard rushers, and that's not what I'm projecting for Harris Robinson in 2020. Sounds like a uh, sounds like a uh, president vice president duo there, doesn't it? For uh, 2019, excuse me. Um, but in terms of yeah, workload, I think you could see something uh, more along the lines of a two-back setup uh, than the luxury that Alabama has had maybe in the last couple of years, and then even. Uh, when Jalen Hurts was the quarterback, he had a quarterback that was running it pretty good, too. So without that dynamic as well, I think it's uh, it's it's very much on Najee Harris and Brian Robinson. And, you know, I think Jerome Ford has to be in this thing as much because of the potential for injury to either Harris or and or maybe Brian Robinson in a. Uh, sort of catastrophic scenario, because Jerome Ford is 210. He's 215. 
You know, I, I, I'm with you on the different dynamic. That's what I like, too, about Keelan Robinson and Chadarius Townsend. But the point you made about pass protection, if something happens to Harris or Robinson, you're going to need another guy that's got some size to him uh, that can help in uh, blitz pickups and pass protection. And that's where Robinson and Townsend might be a little bit light. But wide receiver now as we move along here on the offensive side of the ball on the Built by Bama online podcast with Charlie Potter, my colleague there at BOL. Charlie, um, I know you've had it broken down by position X, Z, and H. Uh, basically what that means is for the old leatherheads out there, the X is going to be your what you would call a split in back in the day. The Z is going to be your flanker. Um, and then a, an H is essentially your, your slot receiver. I know you... Um, and, and a way it breaks down is Devontae Smith at the X, uh, Henry Ruggs at the Z, Jerry Judy inside uh, at the H. Uh, you know that Jalen Waddell, obviously, is a fourth guy based on his performance a year ago. Uh, but the fifth guy, you know, is it John Mechie? Uh, we certainly anticipated that coming out of spring drills after he had the big 8A game. Slade Bolden, you continue to hear a positive buzz about that second-year player. Tyrell Shavers at 6'6", certainly a different look. Uh, Xavier Williams, uh, it's a a deep group. It's not just a top-heavy, talented group. I mean, we are talking about potential first-round picks in those top three or four spots. Um, But that next wave, how, how do you see it sort of playing out five, six, maybe seven? Yeah, it's a completely different dynamic than what we were just talking about at the running back position this is arguably the deepest group on Alabama's roster and you're not going to find a better starting quartet than what Alabama has in Judy Ruggs Smitty and and Waddle but I am really interested to see what they kind of do with the bench Um, you know last year I know Irv Smith was heavily in the mix and those were your your top five targets we didn't really see anybody else in the game you saw um, you know Derek Keith every once in a while shavers kind of got in the mix a little bit but for the most part they kept those four receivers on the field with Irv smith and and hell hinches as well but uh, i'll be interested to see if if they try to get one of those guys involved because you're looking at a situation where your your three starters could all turn pro after this season you're going to have to start grooming guys to get ready and uh you know is that john mechie he's a guy that had a really good spring has you know carried that over into fall camp um you know you mentioned slade bolden you know he's a player that um has done a lot of good things in these scrimmages i think shavers brings you a different dynamic because he's the biggest receiver of the group um with them kind of placing an emphasis on improving in the red zone you know that's a big target for two to throw to uh, inside the 20. So, uh, and I think Xavier Williams, he had a good spring and has done some good things. So it is a deep group. Um, I'll, I will be really interested to see maybe if they go with, you know, five or six receivers, you know, kind of in a rotational uh, aspect and, and who cracks that fifth and sixth spot. Cause we know who the top four players are going to be. Um, you know, they're the best receivers in college football. They have one of the best quarterbacks throwing to them. I think they're going to, it's going to be tough to keep them off the field, but I think to, you know, get ready for next season and to keep those guys fresh. You know, do you play a guy like John Mechie or a Shavers or a Williams or a Bolden? I'm really interested to see how that plays out this fall. Yeah, I tend to think John Mechie would make the most sense as that first guy in beyond those top four. But this is one of those areas, as we've seen in the past, especially in a season opener, where you might get surprised a little bit. So whereas Mechie, again, to me, would seem the most likely fifth guy. Uh, we'll see. 
when Duke rolls around a week from Saturday. Tight end. Let's go there next. Um, you've had some some injuries there, uh, both uh, somewhat significant when you talk about Miller, Forrestall, uh, and then apparently nagging when you look at Major Tennyson more so than anything else. Um, and that's sort of opened the door for Cameron Latou to come over from defense to offense back in the spring and perhaps maybe as consistent as anyone has been in terms of a presence at the spot uh, since spring drills is Giles Amos, the walk-on. You also added Jalil Billingsley, the true freshman to the mix. Michael Parker uh, is back. So when you look at it, you've got five scholarship tight ends and a walk-on, but uh, that walk-on may be more involved in the rotation, at least early in the season, than a couple of three of of the scholarship guys does does that does that jive with what you've heard or what you've seen yeah i think so uh and i think that also shows you kind of where the tight end position is um you know nick saban was asked about it after the scrimmage and, and you know he said you know some good some bad about the position and they you know want to see you know more out of the group and they need more consistency and um i, I think that they know what they have in Miller Forrestall. He's going to be the starter. He's the number one option. He's a guy that played as a true freshman. Uh, you know, came in with Jalen Hurts and, and Jonah Williams. He's the the lone guy left from that trio of early enrollees. And you know, he's going to have an opportunity now uh, with both Hell Hinches and Irv Smith Jr. to lead the group. But behind him, it's just there's a lot of question marks. I think that's why you know we've seen Major Tennyson with that uh, support strip on his hamstring for for most of fall camp. Uh, I think that's why you've seen guys like Giles Amos and, and Cameron Latou who kind of get that opportunity because it's just not a, a very proven uh, position group in terms of experience depth. Um, they've been working with five players. Michael Parker's kind of been with the scout team uh, for most of these uh, practices of late. And uh, I think that right now I would put Miller Forrestall as a starter, and he can start at either a tight end or an H-back. And then I would kind of put a, a slash between Tennyson and Giles Amos. And with that caveat being, I think Cameron Latou is also going to see uh, a lot of the field. So um, they have options. It's just they needed to see more out of those options. They need to continue to develop, learn the offense, and uh, you know, for Latou, get more comfortable with the position. It sounds like he's done a, a good job. He showed some good things in Saturday's scrimmage. Uh, Giles Amos is a guy that Nick Saban said that they're going to probably expect to contribute at the tight end position. So those guys just need to continue to progress. And uh, if they do and continue to take these steps that they've shown, they'll be OK. Um, you know, it's a, it's a group that's experienced a lot of attrition with the two guys leaving and then Kedrick James transferring to SMU. Uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. It's a it's a group that um, this is the year if you're going to have. Um, a deficiency at the tight end position where it's going to be okay because we just rattled off all this talented receivers. Uh, I know Nick Saban's you know, had some fun with some 10 personnel, some red personnel and during press conferences, but uh, this could be the year where they look to you know go for wide and one back in the backfield and operate out of that. So those tight ends need to step up, though, that's for sure, whether it's blocking or catching, and uh, look for Miller Forrest on this group of young group, group of young guys to do that. Yeah, their bread and butter, as it should be, is three wides um, are 11 personnel, as we'll call it. One back, <laughs> one tight end. I don't know if that's blue, green, yellow, or purple in their vernacular, but it's 11 everywhere else. So they would love for Miller Forstall to be what he can be and stay on the field and stay healthy because if he can do that, he can give them some of that Irv Smith Jr. Um, 
and, and he can block well enough. Now, you know, I think situational may dictate who they go with next at the position, depending on what they really want to try to emphasize, whether it's more tighter formations um, or they're in goal line and short yardage situations. So that's where some of this stuff could mix and match, I think, at the tight end position to go along with uh, Miller Forstall. But, yeah, there may be some situations where they go four wides. You know, look, if you get the ball at your own 25 with, say, a minute, 47 to go in the first half now why wouldn't you spread that thing out with those guys uh and, and and try to hit some some plays down the field so or if you want to just go up tempo at different points in the game so yeah there's that that they benefit from sort of that intrigue that mystery of what that what is potentially possible and very real based on the personnel that they have uh, especially at the wide receiver position. As for the offensive line, Charlie, it's been a big point of emphasis for us during fall camp, as we knew it would be, because figured that the offensive tackle positions were pretty much set in stone with Alex Leatherwood and Jedrick Wills. But guard to guard, we've talked about it a ton. We've seen numerous combinations, especially after coming out of that first scrimmage and then going into last Saturday's work at Bryant-Denny Stadium. Do you have a feel? as we sit here heading into the start of fall classes uh, as to how that situation left guard center, right guard might play out a, a week from Saturday. <laughs> no, not really. Um, yeah. Honestly, uh, I, I think the one that seems to be close to being nailed down the most would be left guard with Evan Neal, the true freshman. Um, you know, he's been the guy that's been at left guard every day, since the first scrimmage and then everywhere else it's just been kind of like musical chairs i know we've said that a lot but it's the truth um you know we've seen landon dickerson the grad transfer from florida state work at center he did that uh earlier today in tuesday's practice um with the first team uh some of that has to do with chris owens been a little bit limited uh, nicked up a little bit from preseason camp uh, but he was working as the number two center today when they were working on center and guard combos. Uh, and then, you know, a guy like Emil Ekior has also seen reps as center. So there's three guys that could, uh, you know, legitimately play that position and play it in starting minutes. I think they feel pretty good about all three of those players. And then you look at the right guard position, it's the same thing. Um, you know, today Emil Ekior was at right guard. Um, when he hasn't been limited, we've seen Matt Womack there. Uh, he's going to be the the lone if, if he starts, he would be the only senior starter on this offense, which is pretty crazy to say. But, you know, he's been kind of nicked up by injuries. Uh, I think he kind of took a shot to the head earlier in camp and has been limited in some extent. He didn't scrimmage this past weekend. So he's a guy that when he's been healthy has been working with the ones. But we've seen Ekior, we've seen Landon Dickerson work at right guard. So there's there's three options at both of those positions. And, uh, you know, that's not even mentioning a guy like Deontay Brown, who's going to be eligible uh, after the first four games of the season. So I think there's still a lot of moving parts. But the good thing for Alabama is Nick Saban feels really good about this offensive line. It's, it's it has the potential to be a huge line in front of Tua Tagovailoa and these running backs. Uh, there's just some some space eaters when you look at the size that they can put out there. Uh, but it's just a matter of getting the, the right combination of five players on the field that that gives them the best chance to win. And they're continuing to mix and match those players. So, yeah, I mean, I, I feel pretty confident about saying Evan Neal will be the starter at left guard. Uh, as for center and right guard, though, there's there's several ways they could go about it. I think they're continuing to explore all of them. 
Yeah, earlier in camp, I would have said Emil Echior is a really good bet uh, to open the Duke game at either center or guard. And I still think there's a really good chance he's going to do that. You know, it's sort of the either or really, though, because in Matt Womack, if he is healthy, he's good to go. And it looked like on Tuesday he was fully participant in that workout, uh, our most recent look at this team. Uh, it's hard to go away from a redshirt senior who has legitimate game experience uh, in the offense. So, um, yeah, I, I think that, uh, that the combinations are are uh, kind of up in the air. Same for Chris Owens, you know. I mean, you trust that guy at center. Landon Dickerson's a, a fourth-year guy in his own right, but he's fresh to this program and this system. Although Nick Saban has been glowing in his commentary of Landon Dickerson as well, especially from a work ethic standpoint. So, uh, yeah, tune back in a week from Saturday. You know, we're going to talk about all this, and then it'll probably end up being exactly what it was the first day of fall camp from guard to guard. Um, let's, uh, with that, let's move over to the defensive side of the ball and let's stay on the lines of scrimmage. Look at that defensive front, similar to the offensive line, Charlie. Had some guys in and out, if anything, more of the significant nature of injuries on that defensive line. LeBron Ray, a late arrival to fall camp due to his offseason uh, injury. Uh, then we see DJ Dale go down with a knee injury early in camp. Raquan Davis, thankfully, stays upright uh, and pushes through and makes it. I think he may have had a little bit of a scare himself even on Saturday in the final scrimmage of fall camp. Um, but because of that, you know, we've seen a lot of these new faces, but you know, also some second and third year guys that we make the mistake of sort of overlooking and thinking, ah, well, you know, on to these six true freshmen. But guys like Christian Barmore, guys like Fedarian Mathis, uh, even Vita Musica, Stefan Wynn before his ankle injury, you know, there's still some of those guys that have a real opportunity to fill out that defensive line rotation. Yeah, I think so. Um, the the first team, you know, when they're healthy, it's pretty clear for the defensive line. Raekwon Davis is obviously the senior, the leader of that group. And LeBron Ray is going into his junior season, and when he's been healthy, which has been the last uh, couple of practices, he's been working with that first group of defensive ends. So you know they're on the end, and then with DJ Dale, uh, you know slowly getting back to 100% health, he's in the middle. The the first group is pretty much nailed down. I would be surprised uh, if we see any other group start the the Duke game than that. But behind them, they have they have options. It's it's kind of similar to the offensive line. It's not so much as established depth, but uh, they have some talent. I think Justin Aboigby, the true freshman, is a guy we're going to see a lot of this fall. Um, you know, when LeBron Ray was uh, down with the injury, you know, he's a guy that was with the first group and jumping all these these guys that have been in the program. I think Fidarian Mathis is someone, you know, before DJ Dale kind of burst on the scene, we thought maybe he would step in and replace, um, you know, Quentin Williams in the middle of that line. And I still think he's going to see plenty of the field. He was one of the top reserves last year, and he can play either in the middle or at end. Um, a guy like Beatum Musica can provide depth uh, at that defensive tackle, nose tackle position. And, and Christian Barmore, you know, he's a guy that uh, I'm not saying he's going to be the next Quentin Williams by any stretch of the imagination. But he's a guy that kind of made his mark on the scout team last year. He was a nine-time scout team player of the week. And, you know, that goes a long way in impressing the coaches and getting on the field. So we'll see if he can do that this fall. Uh, but, you know, those guys, as Stephon Wynn also, you know, when he's healthy, I think he can he can play either in the middle uh, or at end, probably more so in the middle because he seems like 
one of the bigger guys out there. But all of those guys that have been in the program uh, that are battling for rotational spots, they're going to have to fight off those young players because, you know, talking to most of them before they got to campus uh, in May, they're expecting to come in and play. A guy like Byron Young is very motivated to come in and play. Uh, Antonio Alfano, even though he hasn't been at practice this week, he's a guy that, um, you know, I believe he hurt his knee a little bit earlier in camp. We've seen him with a knee brace on and kind of be limited at times. He's a guy that was once ranked, if he wasn't ranked at the end of his recruitment, as the number one player in the country. So, um, you know, those guys are, are ready to get on the field and uh, contribute. So I think all of that being said, it's it's a good thing for the defensive line because the last couple of years we've been sitting here talking about how uh, the defensive line depth just wasn't there. They were kind of in the boat that maybe the running backs and the tight ends are this year. But now with these six new freshmen coming in and pushing these guys that have been in the program, it's only going to help them to get better. And uh, I think that the, the defensive line is in a much better place than they have been in the last couple of years. And it's easy to look at the depth chart that we'll get next Monday and see defensive end, defensive end, nose tackle. And, yeah, it's a base three-man front. But we know that situationally is where things will get very interesting. Raquan Davis, obviously, going to be an every-down guy, whether it's base, whether it's the big nickel, whether it's a pass rush look from the nickel, whether it's the dime rabbits. Uh, 99 is going to be on the field. But you know, when you start looking at LeBron Ray, and we heard Nick Saban talk about it after Saturday scrimmage, really want to get a look at LeBron Ray at this point in his career and find out if he can be one of those guys who can move inside in passing situations like Jonathan Allen and other guys we've seen in the past and get after the quarterback. And because of his injury, they don't probably have a great feel for that right now. And with that opens the door for possibilities of guys like Christian Barmore. Can he get it done as an interior pass rusher? Justin Aboigby, who you mentioned there. Um, these are the guys that I think are going to be most fascinating to watch uh, in, in Atlanta when Alabama for the first time in that game against Duke third and eight, third and 10, you know, who are going to be those pass rush guys outside of Raquan Davis up front. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the big things for this team is to figure out those pass rushers. And yeah, Nick Saban was talking about that, um, after the scrimmage and, Really up front, the only established players you have are, are Davis and Ray. you got to figure out where the, the rest of that is coming from. And then I guess a good segue for that going into the outside linebackers is they expect guys like Anthony Jennings and Terrell Lewis and Christopher Allen to do that. Um, we've seen what a healthy Anthony Jennings and Terrell Lewis can do getting after the quarterback. Uh, they're very, very efficient in that regard. And they're going to need some young players at outside linebacker to provide that as well. You know, King Makuta, uh, who's a true freshman that enrolled in the summer, uh, he's a guy that they expect some big things from. And Nick Saban's even you know, mentioned him by name. Um, you know, Going through that list of pass rushers, he was listing off numbers, 99, 33, 24. But he mentions King uh, by name, and Terrell Lewis and other players are expecting big things from him as well. I also think – I know we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves now, but you got to expect a guy like Dylan Moses in the inside to provide some of that pass rush as well. So they have options. It's just they need to kind of put it all together from a pass rush standpoint. Yeah, the thing they've always had, though, is two ass kickers on the interior in pass rush situations, which makes it really, really hard to double one of those guys. And, you know, whereas Raquan Davis didn't have a stellar season from a pass rush standpoint last year, you still had to account for Raquan Davis. And in doing so, 
you know, you helped out Quinnen Williams from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. So whether it's LeBron Ray, whether it's Justin Aboigbe, whether it's one of these other young guys, maybe it's a Christian Barmore that that steps up this season. Uh, they've got to find another interior pass rusher to go along with Raquan Davis. I agree on the outside linebackers. Uh, I know Tuesday we got a we're talking some base defense uh, on the podcast. Uh, it was interesting, wasn't it, to see not so much who the first two guys were, although it was interesting to see Christopher Allen out there with Terrell Lewis. Um, but that next duo, uh, a couple of true freshmen there. Yeah, no doubt. And one of the things that we've seen continuously in preseason camp, and it's not uh, out of left field, is Anthony Jennings has been watching a lot of drills. You know, he's a guy that had a really scary knee injury, um, you know, in the, the semifinal against Clemson a couple of years ago. Uh, it's a situation where he could have lost his leg. I think he's getting really comfortable and confident on that knee, but they don't want to take any chances. So he's watched a lot of drills and been a coach uh, alongside South Sunseri because they are going to be counting on some of these young players. You know, we saw Terrell Lewis and, and Chris Allen go through the uh, the the nickel drills or the the base defensive drills kind of seven on seven look uh, with the first team, but the second group was King Makuta and Kevin Harris, and we've seen I don't know how many times during fall camp, Sal Sinceri, the outside linebackers coach, just get on those freshmen, get in their face, grab their jersey, yell at them, maybe spit a little bit, and it, that's typical Sal Sinceri, but that's something that shows. Maybe to, to someone that, that hasn't been around Sal or been around this program, it might come off as, wow, that, that was really aggressive. But he sees the potential in these players, and he's getting after them and trying to make them better. After that happens, you see a guy like Anthony Jennings who's you know, standing off to the side, maybe without his helmet on, and he takes them aside, uh, gives them a few pointers, and they go back and do the drill the right way. So they're investing and young players like King Makuta and Kevin Harris because they see the potential in them. Um, you know, you, you wonder um, what's going to happen with guys like Ben Davis or Dress uh, Parks who have been in the program. Uh, you know, early on, Ben Davis was working with the twos. I think it was during that open practice. And we haven't really heard much, um, you know, from him after that. I think these these true freshmen have come in, have impressed. A guy like King Makuta has good size, and he seems to have the right approach to things. And uh, right now, um, I would put him as the probably the number four pass rusher just because Nick Saban has mentioned him uh, when asked about pass rush because Terrell Lewis and Anthony Jennings have brought up King uh, when they're talking to reporters. I think they're trying to carve out a role for him. And that's really interesting considering, um, you know, the guys that are ahead of him. Backfilling for a Yabi Anoma, it looks like, <laughs> with yeah. uh, King. Uh, perhaps for that uh, opener against Duke. And again, it, it'll be a, a combination of guys. And, and you're right on a guy we're fixing to talk about, Dylan Moses. You also have to uh, factor in his ability to provide pressure, uh, whether he's lined up in the middle of the field, whether you kick him out to the edge in some looks, stun him, uh, use him in some games up front in the pass rush. Dylan Moses can certainly provide that as well. And speaking of inside linebackers, Charlie, I almost feel like we need a drum roll for the inside linebackers. Uh, we know about Dylan Moses. Uh, we knew about Christian Harris coming out of the weekend. And then we went out to Monday night's practice. And while we were out there, Christian Harris appeared to tweak his left knee. We went back to practice on Tuesday. Christian Harris is out there. He's got a knee brace on that left knee. Didn't look to be doing much at all. And that brings another true freshman into the picture, I guess. 
Yeah, I mean, it's we've talked about the the offensive line being musical chairs, and uh, kind of in the the last couple of practices, that's that's what we've seen from the inside linebackers. After Josh McMillan's injury, um, yeah, that's I can't say enough how much that sucks to see for a redshirt freshman yeah. that had been waiting so long uh, to have his opportunity kind of vanish before his eyes with a with a knee injury in the first scrimmage. But that's the reality of the situation. And then the ensuing practices after that, we saw Markel Benton with the first group, which Kind of was expected. He's next man up in terms of seniority. Then we see um, a little surprise before the second scrimmage this past weekend with Christian Harris with the ones. And he actually went out, started the scrimmage, uh, played pretty well. And Nick Saban had some glowing remarks about him afterwards and kind of just talked about how it was on the job training for him. He's a guy that uh, doesn't have inside linebacker experience. He came from a high school team where they played him at corner. Uh, safety, receiver, kickoff, punt returner. He's a he's a versatile athlete, uh, but you know he was projected to be an inside linebacker by the recruiting services, by colleges, and um, you know that's where he's going to play at Alabama. And he's been doing a good job. Uh, when he kind of got that knee tweaked a little bit, we've seen Shane Lee, who's just a, a grown man out there uh, as a true freshman, kind of work with the ones. But it sounds like going back from the spring. When we've heard from Nick Saban talk about these young inside linebackers, it's just been one thing after another. I think it was um, they just had some mistakes in the first spring scrimmage before the A-Day game. Uh, that led to, to obviously mistakes on the field. Poor tackling was something they they dealt with. And, and now whenever you have a, a new guy in the system that is playing pretty well, um, that has been basically living under Dylan Moses's wing as a Baton Rouge native uh as well, uh, they're basically throwing the young kid in there and saying, look, uh, you probably give us the best chance to win learn the job right now, and, and you might be the starter for the first game. So it's been really interesting to see how that uh, position has developed. But you know, we'll continue to monitor that knee injury and see how he, he gets back on his feet. He didn't seem like he was doing much today, today being Tuesday. Uh, they have another practice on Wednesday, so we'll see how it goes. Yeah, and that veteran advantage that some guys have, it only means as much as can you get people on the ground? Can you tackle? You know, can you physically take advantage of your experience? And I don't think that was happening at the rate that uh, Nick Saban would like. And at the same time, you're hearing that the young guy, Christian Harris, is sideline to sideline making plays, even if sometimes he didn't know exactly why he was making plays. Um, you can live with that when you've got sort of an anchor, a rock there at the middle linebacker position uh, in Dylan Moses. Let's move to the defensive secondary, Charlie. We'll go to the cornerbacks. Top three, we felt like, really since the spring, Trayvon Diggs, Patrick Sertan the second, Josh Jobes. Those were going to be the three guys. We haven't seen anything, I guess, to sort of uh, dissuade that belief. Um, I guess, if anything, might be a little bit of interest. It's that it's been Patrick Sertan at that star position, right? Yeah, that's been consistent all preseason long. And, you know, he, he's a guy, both he and Trayvon Diggs, got some work there in the spring. Uh, Shaheen Carter was coming off of sports hernia surgery. So that just, it made sense. Uh, but now it's it's kind of carried over. And, you know, Trayvon's been back at his old stomping grounds at left corner. And, yeah, it's been Patrick Sertan, um, you know, all 16 practices working at start. Today, um, obviously, we saw them um you know, work on their base package, so Sertan slides back down the corner, and Joe moves to the second team. But um, that's that's been a constant through these 16 
practices. And uh, you're talking with with Patrick earlier in the week. He came up and made his debut in the Naylor Stone Media Suite. And um, he was saying that it was going well at the star position. Trayvon Diggs was asked about how he's seen his teammate progress. And he said he's a better star than he was. And so I, I think that that's something that we could potentially see stick. Um, I, I'm I'm really interested, though. I know he's been practicing with the safeties. Uh, where Shaheem Carter shakes out in all of this, you know, Nick Saban earlier in in preseason camp said that he's one of the most knowledgeable players uh, on the defense on the entire team. Uh, he would make a really good coach one day. But we've only kind of seen Shaheem with the first defense in, in dime situations, moving on to safety while Xavier McKinney moves down. So, uh, as a former corner, as a player that can play corner, star, money, safety, he kind of fits the bill and, and all that. But yeah, for, for the corner so far, when you're looking at nickel, which Alabama is in most of the time, it's been Trayvon Diggs and Josh Job with uh, Patrick Sertanet Star. And, um, yeah, that, that's pretty much been what we've seen all preseason long. Yeah, and when you look at the depth there at corner, it's freshman Orama, whether you're talking about a redshirt freshman and Jalen Armour Davis or those three true freshmen that Alabama has injected into that secondary there at the cornerback spot. Really, you can say that for the second group in the secondary in general. Um, but, man, something happens to Trayvon Diggs, Josh Jobs, Patrick Sertan. It will be nice to have Shaheem Carter in that scenario because you could you could use a Band-Aid type approach with him. But otherwise, it's it's going to be a new face for the most part back there. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Um, and we talked about the, the offensive linemen, the defensive linemen, uh, but they have a lot of freshmen and a talented freshman group in the defensive backfield. And we've seen uh, three freshmen uh, work at, at the cornerback position. We have seen of late Marcus Banks kind of been pretty consistently with the with the second team, um, depending on the formation or the day of the week. Um, a guy like Scooby Carter might be with the twos. Uh, he's a guy, though, that we've both kind of seen still kind of limited by that shoulder issue he had in the in the in the summertime after spring practice uh, and a guy like Brandon Turnage was was impressing early on in in the spring and he kind of uh, twisted his ankle a little bit we haven't seen much for him since so just from a cornerback standpoint yeah um, you know those guys are, are in the mix Jalen Armour Davis like you mentioned a redshirt freshman a guy that didn't play last year uh, has, has also been in the mix and uh, the the safeties as well the young guys are showing out there yeah, at safety, you talk about it. Xavier McKinney obviously comes back. He gives you, again, that rock-solid presence back there, can also and will, it appears, drop down into the box and continue in that money roll uh, when they go to the dime package. But, you know, Jared Maiden, and, and I'll raise my hand to this, um, I wondered exactly how legitimate his candidacy was at free safety as we went through the spring, mostly because – well, we had seen so much of Shaheem Carter last year, and also Shaheem Carter was coming off sports hernia surgery and was in non-contact status. So you're thinking, well, yeah, that's nice. Jared Maiden, if nothing else, he's going to be that third safety. We're going to continue to see him in the dime uh, when they go six DBs. But it looks like right now Jared Maiden's candidacy is very much legitimate to start alongside Xavier McKinney. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, we've talked about those corners and how consistent they've been. Uh, it looked like maybe that first open practice, they might have put Shaheem in at safety uh, with the first team. But since then, it's been McKinney and Maiden uh, back in the back end. And, yeah, I mean, Jared Maiden's a guy that he's been in the program. He was the sixth guy last year uh, as a safety. 
And um, I think he's just continuing to show progress. Um, I think he needs to he'll probably play a little more under control. Uh, he kind of has some of that, not quite to the same extent, but he has some Ronnie Harrison in him. We saw him um, you know, get called for targeting last year and have to miss the first half of the game. But I think he's continued to show progress, continued to develop and learn the system. And, you know, working with Charles, Charles Kelly, all these safeties seem to be doing pretty well. Uh, a guy like Daniel Wright, who's been in the program for a bit, uh, he's been consistently with the uh, the second team. I think um, he even got some run with the ones in Saturday's scrimmage just because uh, some of the guys, they were, they're, they're really trying to be limited with them with all the injuries they've piled up. And uh, then you look at the freshmen, a guy like Jordan Battle, um, he's been pretty consistent with the twos of late. Uh, I think they feel pretty good about what he does uh, and what he's done in preseason camp. He's a guy that uh, recorded interception in the scrimmage this past weekend. So, um, you know, that's not even mentioning guys like Eddie Smith and, and DeMarco Ellums who have been talented in and of their own right. So um, safety depth was an issue for Nick Saban in the spring, uh, but adding guys like Battle and Ellums to that group and having a guy like Shaheem Carter uh, continue to work with the safeties, I think they feel pretty or feel a little bit better about that position than they did back in the spring. Yeah, and all this without Nigel Knight, who we have not seen the entire preseason, the veteran corner. Uh, you, you wonder, obviously, about his long-term prospects with the program moving forward from a playing standpoint uh, anyway. Uh, and it seems like in these last two recruiting classes, Alabama has continued to recruit maybe above what it recruited the previous year, and that may end up being the case again for the class of 2020. We'll have to see about that. As we wrap it up, on a edition of Built by Bama online podcast, Travis Ryer, Charlie Potter. Now for the crescendo, Charlie, <laughs> the one they've all hung around for. You know how we did this. We kind of did it where you folks would have to hang around until we got to the most pressing topic of the entire uh, podcast, and that is the kickers and the punters, Charlie. What are we expecting at this point? From Will Reichert, is it realistic to think he's he, he handles everything? Are we expecting this thing will be chopped up among the three scholarship kickers slash punters? What do you think at this point? Yeah, that's that's one of the positions I wish we saw more of, just because they're usually walking out of practice when we're walking <laughs> in. Um, you know, we saw a good bit of them in that open practice, but that's. That seems like that was, that was eons ago at this point. But, no, Will, Will Reichert, I think, is very much in the mix. Uh, I think in Saturday's scrimmage, he had another uh, solid uh, scrimmage. In the first scrimmage, I believe he was 4 for 4 with a, a 50-yarder or so. And uh, I think he was out there first kicking field goals, and uh, he had another long field goal. So um, I think he might be in the driver's seat to – um, you know, handle the field goal duties. I think Joseph Boulevos, um, you know, might still be out there for maybe kickoffs or extra points. I think he was first out there for that uh, this past weekend. And um, it, when you look at the punter position, <laughs> Riker could also handle that. Uh, we've seen uh, Skylar DeLong struggle a little bit. We saw him struggle last year. And uh, I think that if you look at them just from a performance standpoint, whether it was in that open practice, what they've done since then, what they did in this past Saturday scrimmage, Riker's probably the more consistent of the two, and that's usually the guy that you're going to go with if you're a coaching staff. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm really interested to see in that first game 
against Duke, how much Will Riker does because outside of snapping and holding the football, when it comes to the special teams uh, point of view, he can do it all. And um, I think that they still want to give those guys opportunities, the older guys being Bullivos and DeLong, but Riker's making it hard, and, and I'll be interested to see how many of those duties he's able to juggle this fall. I'm going to say it's going to be exactly what we saw to start the 2018 season. I think we're going to have two guys handling placements slash uh, field goal extra point uh, and and kickoffs. Uh, We we saw Austin Jones, right, last year doing that to start the the -hmm. season for Alabama before his struggles, and he gave way to Joseph Bulovus on field goals and extra points. And I think we'll see Skylar DeLong punting. I think he'll use all three of those specialists uh, between punting, Field goal extra point with Reichard. Uh and then yeah, I'm with you. I I I could see definitely Bull of us being out there uh, for kickoffs. Uh, we know Thomas Fletcher is going to snap the football on punts and field goal extra point returns are interesting. Although you have to think Jalen Waddle is the guy back deep on punts for a second straight year. Um, and then perhaps Henry Ruggs, although you know they keep you guessing with that a little bit too between. The, the wide receivers they'll put back there, the running backs they'll put back there. I guess if there's a safe bet uh, of those two guys, it's probably Brian Robinson at this point, Charlie. Yeah, we've seen Brian Robinson um, you know, do that role in the past. Um, he has experience at H-back, at fullback, and that's kind of the lead blocker role for the guy that's going to be the serious kick returner. And I, I agree. I, I would probably give the nod to, to Henry Ruggs at this point, but Jalen Wall. Auto can do it. They have other players that could do it. I think before the injury, a guy like Trace Sanders could do it. Yeah. Um, if he's 100% healthy, maybe a Keelan Robinson. I don't know if they go that route. But um, they, they do have options, and they do get a little wiry with that sometimes in their decision-making. But um, I, I think they're in good hands regardless of what they choose from a return standpoint. They have some some talented and fast athletes back there to, to do those jobs. Yeah, and so as we've wrapped up now with the entirety, we haven't left out a position, I don't think. I think maybe even get back coach we've covered uh, with Cedric. But um, a lot we talked about a lot of true freshmen, didn't we? Yeah, I mean, when you look at just the, the players that if they played a game tonight that could start, you got Evan Neal at left guard. You got DJ Dell at defensive tackle. Um, if he's healthy, Christian Harris at weak side linebacker. And then you got Will Riker is somewhere in the, the specialist unit. So that's four um, guys like Justin McBoyby, uh, Shane Lee, Jordan Battle, maybe a John Mechie. Uh, they're probably going to be in the mix. Uh, Keelan Robinson. So, yeah, I think it's going to be another year where uh, the freshmen are very prevalent in that two deep when it comes out on Monday. And I know that BLO subscribers and Alabama fans out there are all looking forward to that day to get here. Yeah, I think it's a it's a state holiday at this point. So. <laughs> Congratulations, you guys and gals. You're off work on Monday. You don't have to report. Just just tell them the guys at, at BOL told you it was it was fine. <laughs> hey, Charlie, great stuff as always. Uh, great work there with us at BamaOnline.com as always. Uh, always appreciate you taking the time to do one of these babies. No problem, man. This is always fun. Appreciate it. That's uh, Charlie Potter, Team Insider, Beat Reporter. For BamaOnline.com, we also thank you for tuning into the podcast. If you haven't already, 
uh, subscribe to the Built by Bama online podcast. Maybe leave us a review while you're there as well. We would certainly appreciate it. So there you go. Continuing coverage at BamaOnline.com. Travis Schreier for Charlie Potter. We'll talk to you again real soon on the Built by Bama online podcast.